Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Three, two, one. Heard a lot of complaints. Yeah, you're about to hear one now. Get off the phone! No, I... <laughs> I... <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, no. COVID. <laughs> it's just a matter of time, folks. We could have tracks you down. You know it. We all know it. Your Ben Jarofsky show. Very gloom and doom today, I guess. For Thursday, December 23rd. Merry Christmas from Ben. It's brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. Subscribe, and if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V is in victory, S-K-Y. Yes, that's billion with a B. <laughs> It is Thursday, December 23rd, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, the long-awaited return of the one, the only, Delmarie Cobb. And now your host. So some of you know that the mayor of Phoenix and I had a little bet. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Eric Zorn has COVID Thursday, and here's why. Eric Zorn has COVID. We'll get into that. By the way, the, uh, the very gloomy day. You're not kidding. Very gloomy day here in Southern California. Delmarie Cobb has joined us. I love when my guests show up early. Uh, very gloomy day here in Southern California. It's raining. There was a song that was popular back in the 70s called It Never Rains in Southern California. Do not believe that song, ladies and gentlemen. It's gloomy and doomy here in L.A. and it's raining. So you're lucky to be in Chicago, whatever the weather is like. Uh, before I bring on uh, my good friend Delmarie Cobb, our, our guest for today's show, I just want to give a shout out to Eric Zorn. Uh, he, a columnist, he used to work for the Tribune. Now he's a freelance columnist and a uh, good writer, strong writer. Uh, I just read his latest column. Uh, the, he's, he talks about how he has COVID. He got COVID. So I want to give a shout out to Eric. Hope he's feeling better. His family, everybody in his family got COVID. And he had this line in the story where he said, everyone's going to get COVID. Everyone will get COVID. Uh, and I think he's absolutely correct. I'm, I'm like, you know me, D. I'm pretty much like walking around in like hermetically sealed hazmat suits since uh, we left the studio back in March of 2020. Can you believe it? March of 2020. But this current strain is no joke. Uh, so stay safe and sound, everybody, uh, as we headed uh, to the Christmas times. I just you, and get vaccinated. That I mean, good God. I have so many friends who have COVID uh, and uh, my dear friend, Vincent E. Norman, hope you're feeling better in the hospital with it. So got people, my friends who have COVID who've been vaccinated are in a lot better shape than my friends who have COVID who weren't vaccinated. We'll leave it at that. Eric uh, will come on the show uh, tomorrow. We're going to do a bonus interview with him uh, to talk about uh, COVID and his thoughts at the end of the year. All right. Uh, without further ado, I'm going to bring on my dear friend, Del Marie Cobb political strategist, uh, and my partner in crime in the uh, uh, ill-fated attempt to convince the U.S. Senate not to confirm Rahm Emanuel uh, as ambassador to Japan. And I will never tire of this topic. I think Delmarie feels the same way. So we're going to talk about it for a little while. Uh, Delmarie, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm glad to be back. Oh, so first of all, are you okay? Do you have COVID? No, I haven't had COVID, and I'm so glad that I haven't. So 
I've done everything they've said do, vaccines, boosters, and I'll do whatever else they say do. Well, before we get into uh, ROM, since I mentioned COVID, we will get into the ROM talk. Uh, Delmarie and I were on the T. Boot Buchanan show together on VON the other day. And we were just, that was just a warm up. But before we get to Rom, because I think Rom is symbolic of politics in this country at this time uh, and his confirmation, very cynical, but we'll get into all that. Uh, Delbury, I got to ask you something that I I didn't tell you I was going to ask you, but it just popped into my head. I had uh, dinner last night uh, with an old friend, actually one of my daughter's old friends, and he was telling me that so many people in, um, in his family are not vaccinated. He is vaccinated. Uh, and I'll just say this. Uh, he is uh, a black millennial. And I've now talked to black people and white people who haven't been vaccinated. And I have theories about the difference and the reasons stated for it. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. In your humble opinion, what is the difference between the resistance that black people have to getting vaccinated and the resistance uh, that white people have to not getting vaccinated. And what are the similarities? It's almost like a, a high school essay I'm giving you. Here, <laughs> uh, write that in 500 words starting now. I feel like that. I got nervous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm getting graded. <laughs> but, but I can tell you for, well, Donald Trump, I mean, really did a job on this country in terms of COVID-19 and people uh, having faith in the science. Um, You know, now everybody, which is what I just find incredible, everybody is an expert on COVID. And so, you know, when you hear, um, what was the football player, Aaron Rodgers, say he's listening to a radio talk show host. That's who he's consulting with. I mean, that just shows you how crazy this is, that people are willing to believe anyone but the experts. And everybody is their own armchair expert on this particular disease, something that nobody knows anything about. We're all learning on the fly. And so why wouldn't you listen to the people who do this for a living and have done it forever? This is what they do every day. And so I just don't understand any of it, except, I mean, I know for a lot of black people, it's about the distrust. And that has been uh, bandied about and bandied about. Um, And why now? That was my question. Why are we suddenly talking about Tuskegee now? When we've taken all these other vaccines polio vaccine. We took two different versions of them growing up. We've taken flu vaccines. We've taken every other kind of vaccine and Tuskegee never came up. But now suddenly Tuskegee is looming large and we don't, we don't trust the medical, um, the medical world. Uh, then for white people, I think it's about um, making a statement they're going to make a statement and this is their statement. And when you hear some of these people talking about um, they, I mean, they get COVID and then they say, well, I didn't believe it. I heard a woman the other day, her husband died. Um, She got sick. She died. They died a few weeks apart. They had just had a baby. He died first. One of the last words she said to her friend was, I thought it was a hoax. Yeah. Wow. And, and my, my question is, so do you think that all these people have died? You think somebody's lying to you that these, all these people have died? That 800,000 people have died? And you think that's a hoax? I mean, why would anybody play that hoax on you? I mean, what is it about you that somebody is going to play that kind of hoax? So, I mean, I just find the whole thing confusing. I'm a fitness buff. I do, you know, jazzercise. I do dragon boat racing. I ride my bike. I walk. I've done 10 marathons. And I'm not a doctor person. I go once a year for an annual checkup. 
Well, I was knocking the door down to get the COVID vaccine. <laughs> I, I uh, let's stick with this for a while because you gave me some uh, fuel for uh, comments. Your 500 word essay was just a starting point. Um, <laughs> First of all, I did not know you ran 10 marathons. Let's just not let that one escape. That's pretty <laughs> impressive uh, before I like move on. I did not know that about you. So 10 <laughs> Chicago marathons or just 10 marathons total around the world? Around the, around the world. My, I actually walked them, and my last one was in Berlin in 2011. Good. So God. I did, of the top five in the world, I did three of the top five, Chicago, New York, and Berlin. Wow. You walked the New York marathon? Yes, I walk them all. That's how I would do it. I would walk it. I'm not running it. I walk it. Right. It's about six six hours, fifteen minutes. Yeah. Take your time. You know, they shut down the city. No, no rush. They're not doing anything anyway. Um, but let's go back to the uh, white reaction as opposed to the black reaction, and then we'll get into the black reaction. Uh, I do believe you. I think you're right. I think it's a political statement. It absolutely is a flexing the muscles. It's an unwillingness to want to believe. Uh, that the, uh, the COVID, the pandemic is legitimate. And uh, it stems from the fact that embedded uh, in their brain uh, is this notion that somehow or other uh, the whole pandemic was cooked up by liberals uh, and evil Democrats, probably the Clintons. They're going to blame it on the Clintons <laughs> uh, in order to sabotage Donald Trump. And I've heard this. Uh, from my friends of the MAGA persuasion. don't have a lot of friends of the MAGA persuasion, but I have a few. And uh, so follow me on this one, Delmarie. The, the economy, as they say, it was cooking. Uh, Donald Trump uh, was a shoo-in for re-election. COVID comes. He's forced to shut down the economy. Uh, there's uh, unemployment rises, and uh, the Democrats use that uh, to defeat Trump, even though they don't admit that they got it two ways. You know what I'm saying? Right. They, they won't admit that Biden beat Trump, got more votes than Trump, but they say that the COVID was used to beat Trump. So figure that one out, uh, Delbury. It's an internal inconsistency in their very, in their logic. Uh, so I feel as though that's where it stems from a very political uh, motivation to sort of just like almost as a defense of Donald Trump. What's your thoughts about that? No, and what's so crazy about that part of it is that Donald Trump actually had an opportunity to be a hero in terms of COVID. He could have been an absolute hero and probably been reelected because of it. But because of his intransigence and his decision to absolutely view it as somehow being weak and emasculating him, that wearing a mask somehow was equivalent to his manhood. Um, that is the reason he lost. He could have been a hero. Yes, it was under him that they found a cure or a vaccine for COVID. He could have used that to the highest, to the hilt. He all he had to do was talk about, let's be flexible. Let's go with it. This is changing. Nobody knows anything concrete about this virus. Let's just be flexible because there was a period, as you mentioned, from March 2020 to Memorial Day of 2020, when the country shut down or the world shut down, that people would have done anything anybody told them to do. People believed at that point, and they were like sponges. Whatever you tell us to do, we're going to do. But then he just decided, you know what? This isn't real. I'm going to talk about bleach. I'm going to talk about light. I'm going to talk about everything, but what I should talk about, I'm going to discredit the, the one man who in the world knows about uh, uh, virology, and and uh, I'm just going to discredit him and, and everybody else is going to know more than him. And uh, even the Mr. Pillow Man. <laughs> and so, yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. Uh, to your point, um, when you were talking, I was uh, sort of flashing back uh, to the earlier early days of the pandemic. And when the, the first protests that I recall uh, against shutting down the economy against wearing masks took place in Michigan. 
I remember this. Uh-huh. And uh, a, a horde of people uh, descended on the state capitol in Lansing in Michigan. Uh-huh. It was a very bizarre collection of issues that they strung together. They, there was some guy with a Confederate flag. Like, what? why are you bringing a Confederate flag to a, a anti-mask rally? Guys with guns, you know, they so a Second sure. Amendment thing. And then, of course, there's the signs that uh, are really strange. you got to be like Freud to figure it out because it, it's all this Hitler references and Nazi references, but they're generally aimed at the Democrats. And it's like, you know what they said, that old line, the lady doth protest too much. You guys are like... For people who are, you're protesting that the Democrats are bringing in Nazi-like uh, orders, but you kind of really love making these references to Nazis and putting swastikas on flags. Just saying, you know what I mean? And I think Donald Trump saw that, and he didn't want to lose those people. And I've been thinking about this for a while, like how the fringes of the MAGA movement controls Donald Trump. He just gave that, remember that speech just a couple of days ago in Texas, I think it was, with Bill O'Reilly? Mm-hmm. And he mentioned he got the booster and people booed and he was devastated by it. Right. I think you're right. I think it's like he's, like he go back to his wrestling days. He wants to be the macho MAGA guy out there. And he can't let anybody, he can't let like this fringe group look like they're out MAGAing him, <laughs> if that makes sense. Your thoughts? No, I agree 100% that this is all about in his mind. And I think it has something to do. Well, obviously, I mean, he's got arrested development. I mean, obviously, he's a little boy uh, in so many ways. Uh, When you listen to him, his actions, all of that, he's like a little kid who never grew up. And he just somehow, his inferiority complex uh, is tied to his masculinity I mean, even when he was running, you know, when he was talking about the little hands and and then how many wives and how many children and all of that for him. uh, And that's why he said I I told people when he was saying, uh, you know, make America great again. He was saying in code, take us back to a time when not only people of color knew their place but women knew their place. That's what he was saying. Because in his mind, women are supposed to be barefoot and pregnant to some degree, which is one of the reasons why I think he and his first wife didn't make it, because she wanted to be as important as he was. And, uh, and, and she saw herself as an equal, not as subservient. By the way, I, uh, I'll just add this one little asterisk to what you said. Women are supposed to be barefoot and pregnant. I firmly believe, I have no proof of it, that Donald Trump in the course of his life has uh, forced women to have abortions. I believe that. I have no proof of that. I, know, I don't know about his love life. But th- that's why I've, one of the, when you said barefoot or pregnant, I just thought about, I don't know if he wants some pregnant in his house, if you follow what I'm saying, uh, in every instance. But uh, that's the life he lived in the 60s and the 70s. So, uh, No, but that's who he was appealing to. No, I don't – you remember, he was pro-abortion. Yeah. Uh, because he's not a real Republican. He, he saw that as his path to victory. Yeah. And he decided to, uh, to, um, uh, to appease the lowest common denominator – yeah. And that's what he that's who he went for. And the people who he believed, because I really, truly believe when he said, I love the uneducated. He said that. And I believe that's what he meant. Yeah. And even when he was talking about COVID at one point, I never will forget. He was saying we've got to have instead of herd immunity, he said herd mentality. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, and that's what you really want. Yeah. With well, no, that reminds me. Remember, was it Nancy Reagan who said, "All oh, you wonderful white people." Remember that back in the eighties? Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Now let's move over to uh, uh, to black resistance. And uh, you said something that was so fascinating, and I want you to go on a riff about it. All of a sudden, everybody's talking about the Tuskegee experiment. You're so correct. Delmarie, I mean, I, it's like 
all it's just in a way black people have been gaslit too. Exactly. No, that's exactly what I see. And I've said that to my friends over and over. I'm like, how did this suddenly become the most important topic in black in the black community is Tuskegee. I mean, given my age, I've been out here a long time. Nobody was discussing Tuskegee. I mean, I know all about Tuskegee. I mean, of course, it's it was a terrible period. What happened to the black community? And yes, there's many things like that that have happened to the black community throughout history, but it never stopped black people from seeking medical attention. And so to suddenly talk about this, I said, do you understand that there's a reason? I mean, first of all, I don't trust people that much to believe for a minute that suddenly this has reached the kind of heights it has reached in terms of Tuskegee. Yet when the, when the vaccine became available, white people were knocking black people down to get it. Yeah. It's like, do you, I mean, put the two of those things together and wouldn't you say the conspiracy is the fact that they're talking about Tuskegee? <laughs> I mean, that's the conspiracy. So I agree with you 100%. I feel like we, this is, we are being gaslit. Well, I'll go one step further. I don't know if you had conversations like this because I've used the line uh, that you just did. I, will, I, will, I don't have, I try to stay away from arguments with people about uh, the vaccine at this point because it is, to a certain degree pointless right uh but so i've had conversations where i've said to somebody well uh if it's so bad for you why are white people rushing right why are all the wealthy white people into particularly it's like a class thing you know the richest white people in the country donald trump got it for goodness sake okay and the response i'm not making this up on some levels is you don't know if everybody's getting the same vaccine. I think they have a vaccine for white people and I have a, vac- they have a vaccine for black people. And I, I mean, it's my mouth drops, Del Marie, because if you've gotten the vaccine, you know what it's like an assembly line. The first, the, particularly with the first stages of the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Everybody is just marched into a room. You got black people. You got Asian people. You got white people. You got Jewish people. You got gay people. You got who knows who you get what I'm saying. And the person just comes through a boom, boom, boom. Right. It's like it's you think it's that sophisticated where, okay, we have a black person there. Give them the black person one. You know what I mean? No, I agree 100 percent. And I I mean, that's where I find it so crazy because. That's that's been my argument in the very beginning when COVID vaccine was made available because Channel 2 did a story on me because I was like, wait a minute, why is it that I can't get the vaccine? And every place I go, it's booked, it's booked, it's booked. And the people who were getting the vaccine on the South Side were white people who had never been on the South Side a day in their lives. And all of a sudden they found the South Side to get a vaccine. And I'm like, are you wondering about this? (laughs) They're breaking our neck. So if the vaccine for black people, if there was a vaccine for black people, then why did all the white people from Glencoe and Evanston and Skokie and Winneka come to the black neighborhood to get the vaccine? (laughs) because <laughs> wait a minute that was the black people's black vaccine <laughs> now they got a even in the black neighborhoods they got a special batch for when white people walk in uh oh the white people coming in go to the back white people vaccine <laughs> go go to the back and get that get that vaccine for them <laughs> no Del Marie, people have lost their mind and it's a level of craziness uh, that I, I don't think I've ever seen such mass insanity. You know, I think part of it, obviously, is that we're, I mean, I've never lived through a pandemic. Uh, and now we're heading into, good God, we're going to be starting the third year of it pretty soon. It's just something we live with. Uh, and uh, I was just talking at the outside of the show. I don't know if you heard it. Uh, Eric Zorn, the former Tribune columnist, just wrote a, a essay where he says he has COVID, his whole family has COVID. And he, he said that pretty much uh, he's just got to come to face-to-face uh, that everyone will get COVID at some point. It just, if you go about the regular world, you know what I'm saying? Unless you just, if you're hermetically sealed in your house, obviously you're not going to get it. But uh, so I think that adds obviously uh, to the insanity of our time, but uh, 
I've quite never seen a level or degree. Uh, can you think of any moment in history? You and I pretty much cover the same ground no. uh, where people have been this crazy. No, I've never. And I mean, and the idea that, I mean, even what they're talking, asking Joe Biden right now about, you know, did you, were you optimistic? Did you miss something? So-and-so, so-and-so, what if another variant, da-da-da-da-da. The bottom line is, he said from the beginning, and so did all the experts, and he's listening to the experts. He's not an expert, and he says that he's not an expert. He said if 75% of the nation got vaccinated, we would be able to return to some semblance of normalcy. Yeah. And yet we're not. So the, what you're seeing, the outbreaks and the, and the variants and all of those things, that is a result of the fact that we have not listened to the experts and 75% of the nation is not vaccinated. And you go to, I think we're at 60% or 66% or something like that. And if you go to some black neighborhoods it's and some white communities, it's even less than that. It's yeah. 25%. Well, of course, you're just waiting to get it then. You're just, you're just tempting fate. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on to uh, Ron, but I just, uh, when you were t- t- talking there, I just thought back to Trump's speech and uh, you began by saying he could have been a, uh, he could have been reelected if he'd done the right thing. And I think about that so much with politicians and it really applies to Ron with McDonald too. We'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Politicians uh, invariably do the wrong thing or in many cases do the wrong thing because they're afraid that if they admit to X, Y, Z, they'll get in trouble. So in order to avoid a tough decision that could have some instantaneous blowback, they do the wrong thing, if you follow what I'm saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and Trump is really in a trick bag on this one because he really does want credit for uh, the vaccine having been created under his watch. He, want, he wants credit for that. And yet how could he legitimately take credit for that uh, if he's a leader of a party that's urging people either not to get the vaccine or to do whatever they want. Right. Because the vaccine really only works, Del Maria, if everybody gets it. You get right. what I'm saying? So right. it's like, he, but he just cannot. No, he could have been, he could, I mean, he could have taken credit for it. It happened under his watch. I mean, and that's the other thing that, that you hear all the time. Well, they just, it just happens. They just developed it so too fast to, as compared to what? Because you're you obviously you're a scientist and you know how long <laughs> these things take. Right. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm just talking to them crazy at this point. Uh, and if they talk to me crazy, I'm going to talk to them crazy. Yeah. I just as I'm like, I don't want to he- even hear this anymore. This is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, that's hilarious. They invented it too fast, says a guy who never invented anything in his life, never right. made anything in his life except for maybe a, a bologna sandwich. Or probably can't boil an egg. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move uh, to uh, Rahm Emanuel for a moment and uh, politicians doing the right thing. And I, oh, one I say, virus to another. Yeah, one virus to another, right? A mutating virus. Uh, I, I have believed from the get-go from the moment that uh, Rahm was forced by a Cook County judge to release the video of Laquan McDonald being killed. I believe that if Rahm had done the right thing, and in this case, the right thing would have been to bring public attention to what was going on, as opposed to allowing the public to believe the more or less official version uh, that Laquan McDonald had been charging Jason Van Dyke. That was the official version, more or less, that the city allowed the public to believe. And it was totally contradicted by what was on the tape, Delmarie. Had Rom done the right thing way back when, before in 2014, at the end of 2014, or even at the beginning of 2015, before his mayoral election, if he had said, we have this tape that is very disturbing and very upsetting, uh, and it, as opposed to burying the tape, Bearing the evidence, uh, I believe he would have been rewarded with a, a an astounding uh, 
re-election victory. I do believe, I believe the the politicians have such a low, people say I'm cynical, Delmarie. I think elected officials have a very low regard for the public and their intelligence. And so this is sort of the, the prevailing wisdom in Chicago political circles from many people that I've heard this from is that Rahm would not have been reelected had that tape been released before the 2015 election. And I go, well, if he'd done the right thing, I think he would have been reelected. Uh, what's your position on this? Well, if he had done the right thing, he probably would have been reelected. Um, but if that tape had come out, uh, especially in the final days of the campaign, um, or earlier, I should say, where before they had an opportunity to try to paint um, Jesus Garcia as um, inept, because that was their strategy to paint him as inept, and he couldn't handle a budget. He would never be able to handle a budget uh, of a city this size, and uh, and so that was their strategy. And as if Rom had ever handled a budget before he became mayor, um, so. You know, I, I, it just depends on when that information came out. Would he have gotten reelected or not? But the bottom line is, even after he got reelected and after the video came out, he had an opportunity to actually show remorse. And I don't mean the the news conference. I'm sh- I'm talking about in his actions following all of that, that if he, you know, and I wrote a column on this about, I learned my lesson when he said that at the, at the hearing uh, for his confirmation. And, and so I wrote a letter saying, well, show me, show me where you learned your lesson, because this was in response to Joe Ferguson uh, exonerating him as far as I'm concerned, but show me where you learned your lesson, because you had the, you had every opportunity to, push uh, police reform, and at every opportunity, he didn't. He tried to stifle it. And it wasn't until people kept pushing back and pushing back. I mean, one of the things I write early on, um, um, Lisa Manigan, when she said it needed a, a Justice Department needed to investigate, she said, I mean, he said it was misguided. Those were his words. She's misguided. Hillary Clinton, the very next day, said it does need an investigation. The Justice Department does need to investigate. And then he said, oh, okay, yeah, well, yeah, maybe we should have an investigation. But it was only because of Hillary. And you can go and read that in the the newspapers, in the Tribune, at the order in which that happened. Then he had an opportunity. uh, uh, I mentioned that Leslie Harrison... uh, introduce a 40-page ordinance for civilian oversight monitor. He sent it to committee and instead came up with COPA. Then GAPA and CPAC, they came together. I mean, they each had competing ordinances, but for an oversight committee. He sent those to committee. Ceasefire, there was an opportunity when people didn't take advantage of the home rebate and there was $15 million left on the table. And he wanted to plant trees instead of take $5 million of that money and give it to ceasefire, where they, had he- where they had a record of decreasing violence. And he said no to that. So at every opportunity following Laquan McDonald, he had an opportunity to show remorse and that he actually had learned something. He didn't have, he didn't learn anything. He had no remorse. And in fact, all he ever showed the black community was disdain. Uh, And yet, and yet his strongest support in 2011 and 2015 came from the black community. Let's just pause to think about that for a moment, Delmarie. Well, well, I said when Daly stepped down, I was on VON and I said, you know what? We've been oppressed for so long, we don't even know what freedom looks like. And that's the problem. You know, it's Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> I mean, it's just, and, and if it happens on a small scale, what makes you think it doesn't happen on a large scale? 
All right. Uh, speaking of WVON, the other day, Delmarie and I were both guests on uh, TV Buchanan's show. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, we were uh, unleashed on that show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they didn't even make an attempt to like put like a, on a, a pro rom guy. Did you notice that? <laughs> Let's just put these two pit bulls out here. Uh, so I'm going to throw this something to you that people say to me a lot. And they usually say it with a smile on their face like they're kidding. But sometimes they say it seriously. Sometimes it's a little both. So I've been very critical of Rahm Emanuel since roughly three months into his administration in 2011, Delmarie. Okay, I gave him a, I'll give him a little honeymoon, see how he does. You, you gave know? him more than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. I gave him more. Well, I gave him, there was the budget hearing. I, remember for, I don't want to go down this road, but it was a budget hearing. He had a Kennedy King uh at uh was i think it was august of 2011 and i just i couldn't believe that spectacle oh my god he was trying so hard to be bill clinton he really was oh i'm on a tangent here but (laughs) i just that first bunch of his was a disgrace uh but he was trying so hard to be bill clinton and i don't know if you remember well you remember you're a political junkie uh bill clinton's sister soldier moment back in 1992 uh where he he said here's what i'm going to do i'm going to criticize this black woman and then white people will be reassured somehow or other and uh so rom did that he started talking to this audience well you have to have personal responsibility and you just can't look to government and the family i'm like who (laughs) you've been spoon fed your whole life. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, I, I, anyway, so that's when I kind of went off the track, but people will say to me, Del Marie, Oh, Ben, let it go. You just don't like Rom. You hate Rom. That's your problem. You let it go already. You know what I'm saying? And I, I know how I respond, but I'm curious if you've ever had people say that to you. Oh, Del Marie, just let it go already, okay? And why, why you keep beating this dead horse, or uh, just stop making it so personal? First of all, uh, have people said that kind of thing to you? And if so, what's your response? No, they've never said it to me, but they've said it to people who know me, <laughs> and so. Um, uh, and, and that goes for Daly and Rahm Emanuel, because I talk about both of them equally um, as often, because I think we should not forget um, because people tend to forget. And, you know, and the further you get away from something, the better it looks and go, oh, you know, you start remembering it fondly instead of remembering that the reason our communities look like it look, they look every day that I look out the window is because of. Uh, 20 some years of daily and then another 10 years of ROM. So, I mean, we have to be clear about what has happened to our community. So I wish somebody would say to me, um, Delmarie, let it go. And I would tell them, come take a tour of the black community. You want me to let it go? Take a tour of the black community and tell me what you see. And tell me what you see now in Chicago when what white folks were okay when crime was contained, when only black people were being killed and carjacked and and robbed. But heaven forbid, it has now spilled out and is no longer contained. And oh my God, we're gonna move. We're gonna have to leave here. Um, This is a dangerous city. Well, tell that to the 250,000 black people who have left since 2000. Why do you think they left? And it wasn't poor black people who left. It was the middle class that left. The people you need to stay in a city in order to make it function. Those are the people who left. Uh, Why do you think they left? Because of crime, because of schools, because of taxes and fees and fines and because of no investment in their community. They didn't see any investment in their community. And so they saw it was only gonna get worse. I just had a family, a family that has a long, rich history in Chicago. And I was almost in tears when I realized 
that the whole family is gone from Chicago now. They just left during COVID. And that is Adam Moulton Barnett and Claude Barnett's family. The entire family has left Chicago. And I'm like, oh my God, this is history. And these are the people who are leaving Chicago. And I have tears in my eyes because I'm thinking, oh my God, Adam Moulton would probably turn over in her grave. Claude Barnett would probably turn over in his grave. I mean, those are the people who are leaving Chicago. Where did they move? Where did they go? South Carolina. Wow. And their kids are all over the place. So, uh, no, it hurts me to my heart. And I'm see, I see it every day. Well, I just want to remind people uh, that a moment of truthfulness uh, in the 2018 gubernatorial campaign, Chris Kennedy, a Democratic candidate uh, for governor, uh, said that it's all part of the plan, essentially, to get black people out of Chicago. Uh, and then he got clobbered, Del Marie, clobbered by the Tribune, the Sun Time. How dare you say that? You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I definitely believe, and I've studied Chicago uh, planning strategies for many years, I definitely believe uh, there was an economic development plan to, uh, and I'll just take it in racial terms out of it, to gentrify Chicago. And that's no, clearly the plan, clearly the plan. Uh, the black people say for years that they're trying to make Chicago into Paris. And uh, where white people live in Paris and, and um, or the richer people live in Paris and the poor people live on the outskirts of Paris. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, and I've heard I've heard black people say that for years. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happening. All right. So uh, Rob Emanuel was uh, confirmed uh, as ambassador to Japan. Uh, the Senate did it the dead of the night or was it in the early morning? I can't remember which when they <laughs> thought we, we, it was one of those things where you do something that you're embarrassed to do. So you, <laughs> you kind of do it when you hope no one's paying attention. Uh -oh. Right. Uh, so what do you think the ultimate message that the Senate sent to the world by uh, making Rahm Emanuel our, our ambassador to Japan? Well, I don't know what the message is to the world. I guess to the world, it's we, you know, this is the best person we could. You got the best person we've got. We're sending over to uh, Japan. And um, and you and I both feel the same way about that. Uh, really? He's the best person in America to send to Japan as ambassador? Really? Then something's really wrong if he is. And to black people, the message is we don't give a damn about you. You know, you have one purpose. You are a commodity. We need you to turn out the vote. We need you to funk, to, to, to uh, keep local governments going by fees and fines and all of that. And otherwise, you have no purpose. And we don't care what you think. We don't care how you feel. We don't care what, you, what message we send you. We don't care about any of that. And unfortunately, we have people in office who are black, who they go along to get along and nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. And, 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 and the bottom line is if you don't care, why should I care? And so they don't see black people caring. So why should they care? I cannot be more, as I tell some of my friends, what's happening to you cannot be more important to me than it is to you. Yeah, the um, I think I said this uh, on the radio show with you the other day. Uh, it does remind me in many ways. I'm almost positive I said this. I've had this conversation so many times. I can't remember <laughs> where I said what I'm saying. But it does remind me in so many ways of the Clarence Thomas hearings where I had the feeling that white Democrats turned toward uh, their black colleagues or their uh, black advisors or people they trusted. And they go, all right. If you tell me to vote for Clarence Thomas, I'll vote for him. If you say don't vote for him, I won't vote for him. Is it safe? Oh. And I have, to, I have a similar feeling that this is what happened here. And this no. just 
You're Go absolutely ahead. right. No, you're absolutely right. That's the that's the barometer. They take the temperature. And it's like, okay, well, you know, and then when Clyburn was one of the first to say that Rom it was okay. And then, you know, then the black the list just grew. And then when the local black people here in Chicago, the black caucus members said it was okay, it's like, oh well, I got cover. I got cover now. So it can't be, I can't be a bad guy because look at all the black people who are saying I'm okay. So you got a few outliers who are who are um, saying that I'm a bad person, but the majority are saying I'm a good person. And so you know how do you fight that? Well, that's what they'd say is this goes back to what I said before. Oh, don't listen to dumb Marie. It's just personal with her. Oh, don't <laughs> listen to Ben. That guy's just a nutcase lefty. He just doesn't like Ron. Do you follow what I'm saying? Uh-huh. It's like they try to make it about the critics. Well, they're like a bunch of weird people. Uh, so, yeah. It's you, really you, it's yeah. really a shame. And, and um, I was looking for a quote. I don't know if I can find it, but um, someone sent me a quote. My good friend, uh, as you know, I was in this battle with Norman Solomon and Jeff Cohen. <laughs> we were in this battle against uh, Rami Emanuel. And I, I was telling Jeff uh, about, I was giving him an example of how many things that, you know, Rom did wrong. And he sent me this quote that Martin Luther King wrote in his book in 1967. It was his last book. And he was writing about corruption and Negro leaders. And he said, Ultimately, this is the Negro leader. Ultimately, he changes from the representative of the Negro to the white man into the white man's representative to the Negro. The tragedy is that too often he does not recognize what has happened to him. Wow. Well, uh, Martin Luther King wrote that in 1967, which meant that he wrote it after about a year living in the city of Chicago and being exposed to uh, Chicago politics, uh, Del Marie. I think that's where he learned uh, the history. Because if you recall, 1966, Martin Luther King came to Chicago, moved to the West Side, and started negotiating with old man Daly mm-hmm. uh, to end poverty as we know it. And if only Daly had listened to Martin Luther King. <laughs> No. And if only these, uh, I mean, you know, would you, my my one issue about the South Suburban Airport and the number of jobs that we create on the South Side and for the Southland, and to have black elected officials be the ones against it, you know, you can you can greenlight every development on the North Side. You can try to throw everything you can think of. Uh, at this violence, but the one thing you won't try is actual transformative development that could revitalize these communities and give people hope again. All right, Uh, I'm gonna resist the temptation to go down that path. You and I have had that uh, South uh, uh, Suburban Airport conversation many times and instead, Let's close down the show uh, by getting out the Dummery's crystal ball. <laughs> and uh, it's the end of the year. So let's get some end of the year thoughts and predict, uh, predictions, projections, uh, fears, hopes, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, and I have uh, two particular uh, contests on my mind, one more local, uh, one national. So let's start with the national. Uh, and uh, that would be... Uh, who controls the House? Mm. Midterm elections are right ahead of us. The House of Representatives right now uh, is controlled by the Democrats. Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker. That could all change if the Republicans win uh, more seats in November than the Democrats do and take control of the House, in which case Nancy Pelosi's out, Kevin McCarthy's in, the congressional investigation in January 6th is over. Uh, probably start investigating Biden. <laughs> they'll, they'll make up crimes to investigate. Uh, so a lot, there's a lot at stake with this congressional election. Uh, so what's your sense of things as we head into the new year? 
No, there's a there is a lot at stake, and that was. And I'm just going to regress, digress for a moment. And that was one of the reasons why I was like to Biden, "Why are you doing this with Rom? There's so much at stake. We are holding on by a a, a thread, and we can't. The one thing we cannot afford is voter apathy. Yeah. We cannot do that. And the only reason you're in office is because of black people. Black people turning out in record numbers. And yes, other people did, but, but the black people saved him and his candidacy. And so, you know, to ignore us uh, oh, at, at, at this crucial period, because whatever progress has been made in the months that he's been in office, if we lose in 22, if we lose in the midterms, all of that progress will be eroded. Yeah. And, that is the, and that is the scariest thing of all. Uh, is that, you know, you take one step forward and two steps back, and we just can't seem to get ahead. I mean, when you look at infrastructure, Jesse Jackson was talking about infrastructure spending in 1988. And it's taken all this time to finally get a bill that would create jobs and address some of the disparities and the inequalities that exist in our, in the, in, in the country. And we can't come together around that. And the worst part about it is that you've got a Democrat who is the biggest obstacle. And so with, you know, and we can't afford a vote to lose a vote. And, and, and that's the saddest part about it. And, and I mean, McConnell's even asking um, uh, Manchin to join the Republican party so that they can have 51 to 50. Yeah, no, uh, we talked about that yesterday, Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin, of course, the senator from West Virginia, is the uh, one Democrat uh, that uh, Delmarie was alluding to who uh, is preventing Joe Biden from uh, having some legitimate programs passed that he can campaign on. Uh, I just wrote something down when you were talking about uh, voter apathy. It popped it in my head, and I just, this is really true. It gets back to Rom. I do not believe you'll get one more black voter to vote Democratic as a result of approving Rom to Japan. You will not get, there is not one black voter in America who says, you know what, I'm going to vote Democratic this year because I'm so happy Rahm Emanuel is our ambassador to Japan. On the other hand, I do believe you will contribute to the sense of hopeless, hopelessness and apathy that is the greatest tool the Republicans have, black hopelessness and black apathy, that it doesn't matter. I definitely, this cynical move by the Dems contributes to that. So you will lose black votes. I'm not saying they're going to vote MAGA. They just won't vote. Exactly. And that's, and that's the one message that Democrats fail to receive. And I've had this conversation with party leaders over and over and over who are white and they think I'm nuts because I keep saying to them, when you say we have nowhere else to go, what you fail to understand is that we don't go anywhere. It's not that we're going re- to the Republicans. We just don't go anywhere. Yeah. Now, you would think a white person, let's say in Michigan, who is winning statewide office by the narrowest of margins would get that. I understand why uh, Jim Clyburn doesn't get it or doesn't care. He's going to win no matter what. No, no one's going to beat Jim Clyburn in his district. Do you follow what I'm saying? You know what I mean? It doesn't, that doesn't matter how many deals he cuts. He's not losing. Right. It's similar to what Bobby Rush and Danny Davis here in Chicago. Uh, you know, it's a really uh, difficult task to defeat somebody like that. But if you're running statewide and you know, if you're Stacey Abrams in Georgia and you know that every vote, you need every freaking vote you can get. <laughs> she should have been on the phone. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Governor Whitmer of Michigan should have been on the phone to, to Biden going, you're hurting me. To, to, to your point, Delmarie, do you follow me? A statewide Democrat. In any state, I mean, Pritzker, good God, we'll get into him later. He endorsed Rom too. The powers that be in Chicago, Pritzker did, Lori Lightfoot did, Durbin did. But yeah, you're right. 
No, they wanted to, um, you know, when I was in Washington about uh, at a news conference uh, against Rom being ambassador, one of the questions that came up was, uh, why is this a national issue? Why, why isn't this just a local issue? And, and that's what I said, is because black people nationally save Joe Biden's candidacy for the third time. He's run three times. He's never gotten anywhere. The reason he got as far as he did this time was because of Jim Clyburn and the black community. So Jim Clyburn had all the power in the world to say, to sink this ambassadorship. That was a phone call. And and the fact that people are looking at things as local issues versus national issues. I mean, that's the thing I was talking about the other day when we were on VON, is that we have got to change the way we look at things and go for the long game instead of the short game. This is the long game. And that's why the reason I was fighting Rahm Emanuel is because once we rehabilitate his reputation, we're going to see him come back. <laughs> you did say that. On the, you did say that on VOA. You go, Senator Rahm, look out. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Uh, no, the, uh, the reporters are a trip. And I say this, I've been in this business for a long time, but they always got to play that. Uh, I'm just a reporter and I'm asking my question here. So why is this not just a local issue? The dude buried evidence of a murder. Since when is that a local issue? Right. <laughs> uh, I'm a reporter. I'm going to ask my objective question. My devil's advocate. Playing devil's advocate. Remember when Atiba did that to me on the show? He goes, well, Ben, what do you say to people? Uh, and I knew Atiba didn't believe that. Saying it, but he was felt obliged. Well, what do you say to people say Rob's most qualified guy? Then I just laughed out loud. Really, (laughs) most qualified man to be about. He didn't even know where Japan was. Right. So you're telling me that all of these (laughs) Japanese Americans in America, who speak the language, have history, know the culture, all of that, who PhDs, all of that, none of them was as qualified as. Rob Emanuel. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. If the Bears pick players the way we pick ambassadors, they'd be the worst team in the league. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, they, they do. <laughs> <laughs> hold it. Hold it. Let's redo that sentence. All right. So you're not really optimistic, I guess, by of the uh, about the Democrats holding on to the House. Is that is my is that my the message you're giving out right now? Well, uh, I'm I'm praying. I mean, I know it's already hard. We know that. You know, during midterms, it's very difficult in terms of turnout. Um, and and so I, all I can do is, is pray that we somehow this bill gets passed, bill back better, bill gets passed, and people see, um, you know, see the benefits of it and, and start uh, enjoying the benefits of it. And that may turn things around. If it doesn't get passed, um, and people's lives don't change significantly, uh, the Republicans may regain control again. Yeah. What a frightening thought. And also, uh, I'm rooting for a Democratic gerrymandering in every state in the union uh, <laughs> to offset what the Republicans did in uh, Texas and Florida and Wisconsin, et cetera. Uh, so ultimately, it could come down to uh, gerrymandering. All right, uh, let's close with Illinois. Governor J.B. Pritzker will be running for re-election. Uh, right now, uh, Ken Griffin, the wealthiest man in the state of Illinois, uh, has pledged to spend upwards, I think I've, I've seen quoted $300 million mm-hmm. uh, to uh, any candidate who runs against him, to the Republican nominee who runs against him. He's also kind of suggested or let it be known that he's not really pleased with the uh, candidates in the race right now, so he's trying to urge somebody else to run. Uh, what's your sense of J.B. Pritzker's chances uh, in 2022? Well, I believe he will probably get reelected, but I think he's going to be in for a real fight because we saw what happened with the fair tax and that was a slam dunk. Everybody thought that was a slam dunk. Um, and, you know, lo and behold, here comes Ken Griffin and pl- plucks down $50 million and uh, sinks it. And the same way the Republicans did for the judge, what, uh, Kilbride? Yes. Yeah, same same thing they did with him. 
Um, you know, so this is going to be a campaign of media and, um, and, and they're willing to spend as much money as they need to spend to, um, to make sure that uh, he defeats uh, Pritzker. And the same way with, um, you know, uh, uh, as I mentioned to you, negative campaigning um, stifles black voters. And there will be plenty of negative campaigning, and that's what the Republicans know, and I guarantee you that's what they're going to do. Yeah, uh, anything to uh, deter uh, black people for just, oh, guys, doesn't matter. That's what Trump did. But mm-hmm. I'm telling you, that's mm-hmm. what he did in 2016. Uh, you live in a hellhole. What difference does it make? Um, right. He never said, I'm going to do anything for you. He just right. said, <laughs> what difference does it make? Right. You know? What uh, do you have to lose? Yeah, by the way, can we just pause for a moment? You're talking about crime in Chicago. How Donald Trump, remember, he had a plan that if he was allowed to implement, Man, the stuff that comes out of this guy's mouth is just so wild. I, I forget, like 72 hours, crime would disappear in Chicago. It was some right. outlandish out. I mean, well, remember, Bill Daly had a plan, too. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, everybody's got a plan, and, but, but they only have a plan if they win. <laughs> yeah. There was a movie, uh, he's got a plan to stick it to the man. I can't remember what uh, right. it was. Uh, Delmarie, before we leave, any any thoughts that you just want to close with? Uh, any candidates you want to promote? I know you got a few candidates running. Uh, you know, the floor is yours. <laughs> well, um, of course, I am working on David Moore's campaign for Secretary of State, and um, and I'm and I've been knowing David for years and I, he's a good guy. And I think that office would do well, uh, if we had him in it, um, because of his background as a accountant and an operations manager. And I think those are the things that you need. Plus he thinks out the box too. So that's, that's my, uh, ad for him. (laughs) And for me, uh, I'm just hoping that people, will get vaccinated and we get this COVID-19 and all its variants behind us so that we can return to normal because this is the second year that I've stayed home for New Year's. <laughs> My plans are to stay home for New Year's and I am not happy about that, but I am not crazy either. So I'm not going out and and uh, and and uh, be with a lot of people so that I can catch it myself because I've been lucky. Knock on wood, I haven't caught it, and I don't want to catch it. Do you have any resolutions for the coming year? No, my resolutions. I have a million resolutions in terms of just trying to stay focused and um, um, and do some of the projects that I have on my that are my projects. You know, I'm always doing everybody else's projects and I never get to mine. And so I want to try to get to my projects next year. But that's my that's my recurring resolution. Well, uh, maybe you should. Uh, I don't know if you have a, a, a book in mind, but uh, Delmarie Cobb writing a book about politics would be a fascinating read, I think. So maybe no, that is one of my goals. OK. Uh, fiction or nonfiction? Fic- uh, nonfiction. Got it. Uh, well, my resolution, which I've already shattered, the year years hasn't even begun yet. I already broke my, and it was a resolution that a guest offered up. Uh, we had a guy, Miles Conflassen, uh, a young writer for In These Times, a uh, radical writer, was on the show the other day. And uh, I, out of nowhere, he just said, you know, I'm resolving next year to be positive. Mm-hmm. I go, you know what? I'm going to be more positive. I'm sick of being so jaded. I'm going to be more positive. I think that I made that resolution on Tuesday. <laughs> Delmarie here it is Thursday I think I've already <laughs> but see Ben I think you know but I do think we're positive because even though we talk about all the things that are wrong we're, we're talking about them because we know they could be better and by talking about them we want other people to see that they can be better and that the power is in their hands and all they have to do is take control of the power and we could turn this around and so i do think we're positive you know what that is as good a spot as i need to close the inter- uh, interview uh and the show for today Delmarie, because that is a positive statement that is kind of how i view the world actually anyway uh i wouldn't be doing this for all these years if i didn't think that we there was a right path to go on uh and like i said 
to you earlier, uh, if a politician does the right thing, be surprised. Maybe good things will happen from doing the right thing as opposed to doing the wrong thing. Uh, and so maybe this will be the year when Democrats do the right thing. I have pretty much given up hope on the Republican Party at this moment. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you see Donald Trump cowering uh, in the face of a few boos for MAGA on the issue of the booster, you know, the Republican Party is in pretty bad shape. Uh, Delmarie, you know, it's. Oh, I know. And when you see people just, you know, after January 6th, try to downplay it and pretend it didn't happen. That is so sad on so many levels. Yeah. Uh, it does not speak well to where we are uh, as a country. But hopefully, again, the majority of people will do the right thing. And that's all you can hope for is that the majority of people will do the right thing when push comes to shove. All right, I'll make a resolution that I know I can keep. Uh, in the year 2022, Delmarie Cobb will be a frequent guest on my podcast. How about that for a resolution that I know I can keep? Uh, and, of course, you got to keep your end of that one as well. But, exactly. Uh, uh, Delmarie, uh, have a great New Year's. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, thank you for your advocacy. I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, stay healthy. All and right. you too, and thank you so much, and, and happy holidays to you too as well. All right, that's the great Delmarie Cobb. I'm Ben Jarofsky. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Delmarie Cobb, David Moore, and Stacey Abrams will tell you, back <laughs> home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Take care, everybody. find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding right your tail or if you're tailgating right now all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on auto trader too are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time well multitasking pro cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader